Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Ells. No songs to kick us off tonight. This is a special episode. It's actually part one of two special episodes. Uh, We are on the precipice of a two-night special. Royal Canoe's 10-year anniversary for Today We're Believers is November 22nd and 23rd at the Park Theater. That's a Wednesday and Thursday night. And over the next two Friday nights... I recorded interviews with Bucky Dreger and Matt Peters of the band going song by song through the record. And the discussion took so long that it is spread out over two episodes. We are going to get into that right away, right here on 101.5 UMFM. All right, well, uh, one night can't contain the... 10th anniversary show for Today We're Believers, November 23rd and 22nd at the Park Theater, Royal Canoe. I've got Matt and Bucky from the band joining me to talk about it, but we're going to do things a little differently. Uh, we're, we're not going to just necessarily like promote the show. We're going to kind of try and experiment here. This is Song Exploder style. I, uh, I pitched it to the guys. They were graciously up for it. We're going to go song by song through this record, and we'll play the songs, and we'll talk about the songs. And uh, I, I, full confession here, this is a, an album I nominated to the juror pool for the Polaris Prize. I love this record, so I'm very grateful to get the chance to talk about its genesis. Us too. <laughs> thanks for having us on, Michael. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Michael. So, we're, I mean, the, the album starts with the title track. And, and I got to ask, like, was this always the title track? Like, because you know how, like, some bands choose an album, like, there's a specific song that, is emblematic of the record and that's why it's the title track this one not only is the title track but it like leads off the record like was was there something particular about this song that suggested this is this is first out of the gates hmm i i i wish i could say that i remember (laughs) when we when we made that decision um do you remember bucky i mean i feel like probably it's starting the record I do remember like going through a bunch of track listing options and that song, just the way it kind of like slowly starts up and drops in, didn't fit anywhere else. Like it had to be first. I just remember it feeling awkward everywhere else, like sonically. Oh, And then I think, I think too, like uh, just like lyrically and, spiritually maybe this is just in retrospect but like it does really feel like it i mean that's why we called the album this but like it does feel like it sort of like encapsulates a lot of the themes throughout the record of just like our place in winnipeg our uh that like weird 
tension of like hopefulness and also desolate nothingness and it's kind of all wrapped in that song so i think it just sort of like it, it, it is the thesis statement in in a way and I, i'm kind of glad we led with that and sort of set the tone with something vibey so matt you can't remember what led to the decision to put it first but like what can you remember about kind of the writing of this song do you, do you well, recall kind of like the the genesis of this, the song itself I do. Yeah. I remember this song. So there was a period early on, and we'll probably get into this with some of the other songs, but where we had kind of done the co-op mode thing, which was this older record that had been written years earlier. And we were, you know, right playing those songs live. And, uh, and then we went through this period of trying to write songs as a group and trying, and it wasn't like we were all standing around in a, in a, uh, in the room jamming, you know, our process is much more like on the computer and, and, you know, smaller groups, just, you know, picking away at ideas, seeing cult, trying to, you know, wring anything out of uh, uh, like a drum loop or something. And so I remember that period of time, we were, we were really throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. And I, and this particular song came out of Matt Schellenberg and myself were sitting on the bank at uh, Omens Creek, um, and it, it had been like it was one of those years where it was particularly uh, the water was kind of up at some just a ridiculous level. You couldn't even get across on the little bridge that crosses into like the baseball diamond area. And uh, hence the lyric, the, br the bridge has flooded again and spring is heaving. Um, and I just remember it was it was like April, probably 2009 or 10. And we were sitting there and all we have is an acoustic guitar, which is a rare kind of, you know, campfirey way of, of writing a Royal Canoe song. Mm -hmm. But we wrote the lyrics and uh, a melody and chords that I think the chorus stayed the same. The lyrics are the same, but the actual melody and chords were totally different. It was like it was like more of like just sort of like a classic finger picking, you know, late two, 2009 sort of indie rock song. And uh and so we had that sitting around for a while. And then uh, we, I, I love the lyrics and I just want to echo everything that Bucky said about it. It just, it always felt like this, you know, it's, it's sort of paying homage to, to spring in Winnipeg when everything sort of comes alive again. And you're kind of reminded of, about why you, you invest so much into this place that you love and that you have such a complicated relationship with. And I feel like this song for us did a good, you know, just sort of represented our version of that story. And um, and yeah, so then it, I think time went by and and we and we sort of ditched the old melody and chord progression and then uh, and then these this arping section and this like um, the 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 organ chords and the organ bass pedal part starting to come together. And then, you know, we end up with this really, you know, a, such a so so far away from what we originally had. But, it, you know, in typical Royal Canoe fashion, I think that's kind of what we how we always sort of worked on things we never we 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 you know we kept on sort of pushing and tinkering and 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 uh and dr driving ahead and so in the end i i listened to this yesterday and i made this note it's kind of a funny thing is that we had we had all these other voices in the song um and so it's it's my voice pitched into diff with this vocal pedal that we will you will hear on literally every song on the record but i remember we 
it was kind of early on in the process and we were so precious about everything. We named each of the different voices a different name and gave them a different character. I remember mm. there was like Morgan was like the low voice and Celeste was like the child is high voice. And it was just, you know, I, I felt like at that time it was just looking back now, it, I, you know, I, I just, I really, I liked it just, I, I only think fondly on, on our headspace and, and just how alive everything felt in those moments as we were creating these songs the genesis or rather like the the birthing of this you said you know late aughts like indie acoustic guitar the melody itself then did that drastically change because then you switched to, to the keys and the, the arping like like was that something that was you couldn't hold on to that melody just because it, it was no longer a guitar based song I, I yeah i think actually the rhythm of the melody probably stayed very similar and the shape of the melody is the same and the chorus was definitely the same but i think yeah once we added these new textures we sort of just let things kind of naturally uh respond to the new music did you envision this as like an entirely like kind of like electric electronic and and keyboard heavy record overall like did did the shift in the song from that that acoustic guitar at Omens Creek come about because you knew the rest of the record was kind of going to sound more like what this eventually became? Yeah. Could, yeah, in some ways, but I also I feel like like in the genesis of the band as a whole or at least this era of writing this record and sort of like shifting from that previous like lot mode era. You know, we were all coming from other projects that were very like guitar song writing type projects and i think part of the excitement of doing royal canoe was not only like the collaboration with everyone but also the sort of desire to like explore some new instruments and sounds and tones that we hadn't sort of used to construct songs before so i feel like on this record there's uh, there's so many moments i hear that were like sort of like eureka moments both for the record, but also just for sort of how we shaped the band's sound for the records that followed. And um, yeah, I think, I don't know if it was like a direct choice, but more of a like, hey, we want to try making songs with with instruments where less, uh, we have less sort of like go-to tricks on and make less, less explore baggage new sounds. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 also, I just add to that, like, so many of these things are, are, I feel like these choices, creative decisions are often guided by just the limitations you have and what's available to you. And I think at the time, we had, we had, like, from doing the, the live songs, um, we had, I'm just looking at these keyboards right now, we had like the Korg Poly 6, which had always been sort of in the waking eyes. Uh, rehearsal space and the little fatty Moog keyboard and this and this blue bass that we use that features on every song. I think like these were the instruments in the room, and so and that's not to say that we wouldn't do much. We always do a bunch of sampling, and of course we we try to make guitars sound, uh, you know, as crazy as we can. But I think that the instruments that you have available to you, you, you kind of you reach for those naturally because they're right there. So you have an idea and you want to quickly. You really want to quickly sculpt it, and I and I feel like we just sort of ended up in a lucky situation where we we had a bunch of instruments from both Waking Eyes, Royal Canoe, Liptonians. All of these things were sort of collected together, and other people who had been in the practice space who had kind of moved on, 
and just left a bunch of things. And so there would always be little bits to like little, you know, pedals and things to just try out and be like, oh, where did this come from? You know, no idea where this, and and I think that also really contributed to things because we, we just like we're trying to be as exploratory as possible, and you just kind of grab whatever you can get your hands on.
Now, Bucky, you'd mentioned in part that today we're believers ended up in in the first slot because you couldn't figure out in terms of track listing how to transition into it. I'm curious about kind of transitioning out of it and to hold on to the metal. What made that kind of bridge those two tracks in in your guys' minds? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think I actually don't know if I have a good well, answer for that. I do think we probably wanted to go to something like a little bit sunnier and more uppity after that intro just to like let people know it's not a total downer of a record i i imagine that was part of the thought process matt do you have any thoughts yeah i i think that the i i i always really like the end of the song and just sort of how you again you have all these different voices or all these pitched voices and they all kind of peel back and then you're just left with this sort of one kind of innocent sounding voice and i think that like what it, it gets so stripped down that it felt like uh yeah like maybe this is what you just said bug but it felt like it needed some sort of energy some buoyance to to kind of keep things moving but we still wanted to keep it colorful and i feel like hold on to the metal is a song that like that whatever it is i feel like it is i always sort of imagine it or see it in my head as like the splash of different colors do you perceive songs in color when you when you start writing them like do you think of tone and and, and color do i have synesthesia is that what you're asking i no. guess I, I mean i'm not saying you have synesthesia <laughs> but you know some people kind of picture like this is a this is a a blue song because it's it's kind of sad right like right. or like this one has like a yellow t hue to it because it's very sunny yeah how about you bucky do you have do you see things i in don't know no i don't know if i see things in color i feel like i think of Here's songs more in like textures if anything uh if i'm like translating it to like something a bit more like tactile or visual mm -hmm. um yeah but i will say like even like the record cover of today we're believers is a a wonderful colorful mess but and that's just totally a response to the idea that we did feel like the album sort of was this like kaleidoscopic journey sonically and wanted to sort of represent that with the art right so yeah. hold on to the metal then what what do you two remember about the, the creation of this song and it's and it's roots well, <laughs> I know that, yeah Jembe. oh my god oh my god yeah it started with like we had with exodus we had started working on these like this idea of exploring other time signatures and that song is in in five over four and so i remember derek had started a drum beat um and the song was called five four 54 for the longest time and that we started adding like yeah there was djembe there was all sorts of other kind of layers and textures and i think for for this particular song it is like as bucky said earlier thinking of music and textures like this one is very textural for me where you have and I, and I feel like in a lot of ways, when you do use odd time signatures, I think that's, that's often a, a good approach. And I feel like all, the, the, most of the Royal Canoe songs, with a few exceptions that are in weird time signatures, it is often just a bunch of layers. And so in some ways, you think of the song almost more of like a sort of vertically and all the different things that you can, you can kind of layer on top and which parts work together. And it's a lot of trial and error. I remember with this one in particular, uh, we did so much like 
selecting it, all the tracks and moving them around from different parts and, and trying to figure out like, what's the puzzle? What's like, how do we complete this puzzle? Because uh, it was sort of a mystery. Um, but the, the track itself, I feel like, I feel like we, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of kept, we, we really kept at it. And I think this was one that we were probably tinkering with the arrangement of and the order of like right into the 11th hour. So and probably started one of the earliest. I think yeah. we, we, we cracked that one open a lot of times and like tore it down and rebuilt it a number of times. Yeah. So are you using like a, like pro tools or something where you're kind of like layering things and then seeing what you can take away and what you can add on and play, exactly. playing it over and over to kind of figure out like, Oh no, if I remove this, it kind of falls apart. And if I add this, it's too much, that kind of stuff. You just described the totally. entire Royal Canoe writing process. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally. Yeah, I mean, uh, like there was very little, at least for sure in that era, there was very little like writing a song from start to finish. It was more like, hey, we found a cool drum loop. Let's build a verse or a chorus or a section. And we'll just, everyone starts adding 40, 50 layers of stuff on top and like, there's way too many hooks and then you slowly start kind of peeling it back and finding the things that make it feel how it's supposed to. Um, and then you sort of be, then you would sort of take that section and be like, okay, what feels like the next like natural place this could go. And then you sort of get yourself to the next section. I think we'll get to this later, but I think there's some songs where, you know, there's not really like going back to a section more than once in some cases where you're just kind of moving from section to section in whatever way felt natural. And I, I think in this song, there's actually a good example of that right at the end where it does the last hold on to the metal collide. Does that part when the good banjo comes in, I felt like in some ways that was us just being like throwing our hands up and being like, we don't know how to end this. We're just putting another chorus. This is the best we got world. This is all. <laughs> We, we could probably do better, but you know what? This is where we're at. This is where we're leaving things. But I, I mean, since the dawn of time, people have ended their song with a, an additional chorus, Matt. It's not I just like think we're... The way that it comes out of the the sort of like uh, bridgey section and just dips back down into that, I've always found that to be like a little bit strange. But I in the end, like I, I think it, it works and it's, it's, it is the song, you know. But I, I, I feel like just going back to what Bucky's saying about about how the layers work. And I think the challenging thing was would be if, if we were just making instrumental music, I feel like the rules on what you can do, um, and if we weren't making pop music, you know, or whatever, however you wanna define what we do, but if the, I feel like the rules just, there are fewer of them and there are, you know, there are fewer like structural things that you need to, you maybe want to, your ear wants to abide by, but for the, for our stuff because there's still like a, a vocal there's there are there are songs in there somewhere i feel like the challenging thing is on top of throwing things around here there and everywhere adding a bunch of layers we we right from the beginning always tried to stick to like is there a campfire version of the song in here that works is there and 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 what what does all of this moving around of parts all of this collage audio collage work how does it contribute to the song and never letting the song doing our best to never letting the song kind of get lost in the wash. 
Um, and so that kind of added this extra layer of challenge with, with the way that we were working. So like if, if you take away all the decoration, is there still a tree under here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a great way of putting it. Forget to focus close on the air above your nose. Let the watercolors bleed down the aisle of sandy feet. And out across the sugar cane, through the mountains, swelling veins. Over the earth is coming free, it's a river running to the sea. You wake up on a rooster shit, sweating every vibration, choking on your cries. Bouncing babies, dancing to the rhythm of the battle. Had a conversation with the devil in his eyes. Don't you slip on the flatbed, you wake up on a rooster shit, sweating every vibration, choking on your cries. Bouncing babies, dancing to the rhythm of the
Bucky, I know you're a bit of a baseball fan. D- does the the third spot in an album matter to you the way you know, like a a manager would decide to put his best hitter in the three hole? Wow. I mean, in the modern analytics era, Michael. I know it's know the leadoff that. guy. I know where the quants have uh, argued that you know the on base guys, but this is where you put your power hitter. You know what? I actually think, and I've never made this connection before, so I thank you for sparking this in my brain, Michael. I do think I ascribe on an album to the modern baseball analytical reading of things because for me, like when I was like 17, the album that sort of changed the way I thought about music was Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. And I've always just thought that that record would not have hit so many people the way it did without the first track being I'm trying to break your heart and that wonderful wild like sort of organ collage and janky drum beat and stuff and I think there's something to me about setting the tone with song one to say like this is like the kind of record you're about to hear and this is the kind of journey you're about to go on and then like I guess traditionally like people would but you know maybe some of the more like quote-unquote radio singles in track three and four at least that was sort of like the 90s uh model i feel like and maybe that's like kind of true on this record you've got just enough and then exodus of the year which i mean just enough wasn't necessarily a single but it is a little bit more of a like straightforward song structure uh, aside from that long wonderful outro but like yeah we did put kind of a little more hoppiness into the sort of three four five slots on the record yeah i mean just enough then is kind of your your vlad jr here uh yeah exactly so <laughs> i, w- I want to talk about just enough then like it is it is because the the other two before it are, are are shorter songs and then you get into like a little more meatier batter in the order here and whether yeah. that was a purposeful thing or was, was just something about that song like you were saying matt you know like you, you build it up and you think about like at what point do you kind of like take away this one you maybe didn't have stuff to take away yeah i think we th- this song also i feel like in some ways does follow a slightly more standard structure to start with and then it has this this like kind of double bridge in the at the sort of halfway point and then this long outro like i feel like the meat of the song is sort of over by like three and a half minutes and then it has this really really long outro um which i think in you kind of uh i think in one of our we did like this uh youtube series of of the creation of this album and i think we kind of showcase how we constructed the ending in one of the episodes um but yeah i feel like the this song is always kind of like there's something kind of angular about it and i think it's like the the keyboard chords there's just something about the tonality of those two notes at the uh that come in right off the hop um or sorry after the first verse that i feel like is always like just gives it a very like almost it's almost like a an icy quality to it and the song is about sort of a song about this night of like you know sort of reckless abandon and gimli skinny dipping and and just kind of like feeling feeling like uh like you kind of you're you're kind of letting your guard down everyone is sort of going through this sort of pageantry of pretending that like one of the lyrics is no one's really swimming anyway and someone's talking in a regular way and i feel like at that 
that time in our lives too. Like this song, I think really exemplifies this, this, this sort of exciting, like for lack of a better term, wave that I felt like we were, we were kind of riding. I feel like in our personal lives, there's a lot of change. People were starting new relationships, ending old relationships. Um, there was this excitement of this, of this music that we were making and we all felt so strongly about when we were believed so much in. And I felt like that was filtering yeah, into every aspect of our lives. And I, I, I'm just glad that we were able to put some songs on here that were reflecting that and that were personal. And, uh, and I think that like, especially the next song Exodus, which I feel like really taps into a lot of that, if I can transition, um, I, I think that like that, that song was actually the, uh, the very first song that, uh, that we wrote as Royal Canoe, as you know it. The I, I do want to go back to, to just enough for one second before we move on to Exodus. Then but you were talking about like the, you know, people talking in the regular way and, and, and this notion of like having written it on this like skinny dipping experience, the <laughs> like nakedness of being direct and truly yourself, whether it's through speech or, through, you know, showing your body or something. Was that like something that you were all kind of coming into as, you know, people like as as creators together, like you were feeling kind of comfortable with each other and being truly like a band of people who understood each other and not necessarily the folks who'd come out of other acts and were still sort of sussing out your relationship to each other. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've thought about it that way before, but I do think there certainly was part of the sort of like excitement of making music together in that time, you know, in some ways was sort of this romantic thing or just like, you know, we were doing like when we were like writing lyrics in the same room together, it was like a little bit of like group therapy and getting to know each other. And like, you know, we hadn't made a ton of music before yet. So we were learning how to like tear walls down and be vulnerable and, and sort of like show each other our insides so we could, uh, you know, make these things together. Um, and that was part of the energizing sort of part of that era of the band too. Nothing to hide Watch our skin Lighten up Curious little ghost You don't peek No, you don't Water washes off your back Everyone's reflective Don't 
back with the tide Shall blow hands side to side Fingers burrowing below
So Matt, you made kind of the transition to Exodus of the year. Maybe you can kind of expand on a little on the the genesis of that song and what you remember about kind of like where it came from. Let's say like mm. emotionally or intellectually. I okay, yeah, sure, yeah. Like we, I know it started with the music, and I know it was it was me and Bucky and Matt, and I remember exactly where we were in our space. And again, at this point, we had been trying really hard to try like to write a royal canoe song it like with the with the six of us and trying to transition out of the co-op mode era and just a bunch of things were just awful that we had made it just was maybe awful is a little bit of exaggeration but it, none of it was feeling right like it didn't feel like a represent it didn't feel new it felt more like we were just trying to recreate what had been on the other album and then i remember uh we started with this and i i believe i had come up with this little drum loop um on in reason which is a program that we use in conjunction with pro tools with a bunch of drum sounds it's this little five four loop and then we started playing on uh a Rhodes, and it's just like two notes that are creating this harmony and they're just playing these chords boom 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 just doing that and then doing finishing the chord progression and it was a very simple sort of loop of chords and and we and we very quickly built out a like a pretty like what we felt at the time was like this kind of vibey thing that was in a weird time signature but there was something sort of sad and longing about the feeling of it but it, it, it oddly felt catchy. And we were like, huh, there might be something here. It's like, but it's five, four, you know, that's kind of what you immediately think when you take a risk like that, you're like, you kind of try to find ways to, to like not get too excited and not get your hopes up. Um, because people can always come up with reasons why something that you, the industry is built to come up to get your, <laughs> to eradicate your hopeful enthusiasm. I, I don't actually mean that, but it's, it's like you're you kind of become conditioned to thinking of all the reasons why this thing you're making won't work. And and I and I think we kind of got over that as we kept on adding these layers. I remember Bucky played this trumpet part and uh, and yeah, so we, we had built up the a, a large chunk of the music. And then I remember that night going home and, and at this point, again, like with the first Royal Canoe album, a lot of the songs had been about other, like on co-op mode, had been about other characters. And I remember, uh, I remember Matt Schellenberg saying to me like, hey, you should try to write something that isn't a character song. And um, like, obviously I'd done lots of that in The Waking Eyes, but with Royal Canoe, we kind of had this idea of what it would be like. And I was like, okay, yeah, why not? Nothing else we're doing is working. And I went back home and I, and I was living at the corner of, uh, of like Fleet and Lilac. And I just remember that night just writing some, some words on acoustic guitar. And it was the first verse. And I think it was just like the first two verses and we didn't have the chorus yet. But uh, yeah, I, I felt like it sort of encapsulated where I was at at the time, which was, I think we were all in the same place of, of you know, the classic story of, of, of really like, loving this place that you live loving your community but also the the and 
the the complexity that goes with that when you live in a place when that community in that place is Winnipeg and all of the things that are stored up in that feeling whether that's your own personal experiences the 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 40 deg the degrees below zero weather the the like the ecstasy of summertime and at that point in my life I had just started a new relationship and there were other things that were going on there and I remember all of these people the the lyric exodus of the year is obviously about just how in Winnipeg people go through these cycles these like you love it you you feel like this is where you want to put your roots down and then every year you get you get battered <laughs> and then it's like just people peel off it just happens it's just it's not just a winnipeg story it's an any city story really but uh it always felt like in winnipeg at the time there was that exodus every year where your friends and your community would have would be split apart a bit because people would just go somewhere else and explore as they should and so that's kind of where the genesis of the song was and then we tinkered at it and we wrote the chorus and we and we absolutely like spent you know, way too many hours trying to figure out how to keep it catchy at five four, and had injected the hook and all of the other those other elements. And I feel like you know that was always the challenge is we would have something that we would feel had so much promise and that had this really sweet nugget to it. But then how do you take it from there? Maybe it's eighty five percent done and get it to like ninety five percent done or ninety nine percent done. And I think that was a, a long challenge for us on this one comment you were making about you know the the industry and and like hesitation or like second guessing yourself like is it kind of like a in ingrown notion of like risk taking that like maybe risks aren't necessarily rewarded and playing it safe and pushing pushing against that i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent yeah <laughs> now, now that i'm a record label guy i gotta i gotta account for my uh, my people uh but no i think you know I, I think even more so back in that era when like you know radio was still sort of king like streaming wasn't quite the thing it was today there were just a lot of like gatekeepers that sort of you know they would find sort of any reason to sort of like you know they got hundreds and thousands of submissions and and different things uh, probably a week and whatever. So they're just looking for any reason to be like, nah, pass, you know? And I think, I think part of, you know, I, I even remember like, so Exodus of the Year had like a, a nice little run on like alternative commercial radio in Canada in, in a few cities. And I, I remember though, like our radio guy being like, like, we got to sneak it by them that it's five, four, like we can't tell them it's in five, four, like we just need them to just feel it and like it because if we tell them it's in a weird time signature they're gonna like balk at it and for us it was like that was part of the thing we were proud of is like hey we made this like sort of catchy beautiful thing in this weird time signature and he's like no 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 let's not we can't lean into that as like a talking point which was just so bizarre but i think that speaks to what matt was saying and we all have like various scar tissue from different interactions with the industry where it's like you know, feeling like, like, yeah, risk taking or like trying to like find something new in your sound or like push yourself in your art isn't, you know, rewarded as often as it, as it should be 
on, on a sort of industry level. And I don't know if we were like conscious of that while we were actually maybe making Exodus, but I do think we we did always just kind of have a self-imposed goal when we were like working in different time signatures or having songs with like tons of strange sounds in it was like we still did want like the core of the song to be like a song and to be catchy and have places for people to sort of like enter in and, and become a part of it and not just like alienate people completely with uh with like you know noise tracks or whatever <laughs> Stupid world. 
Well, speaking of strange sounds, the the next track, bathtubs, are those tubular bells? Uh, yes. I think they're fake. Are they real or fake tubular bells? I yeah. can't remember. Probably fake. I yeah, I think they're fake, but they yeah, it's a tubular bell sample though. Yes. Were any of you like Mike Oldfield guys going into this record, or like what what led to the decision to include that that sound on this song? <laughs> I, think, I, I feel like that hook was maybe guitar first. It was. I could be yeah. wrong. It was. Uh, and then it just felt like it needed to be sort of a more like uh, like grand, majestic hook. Because it's like such, I think it's like, you know, one of the catchiest parts of that song. I just felt like it needed this like, uh, you know, we're shouting in the chorus a little bit. It's like this sort of like big, bold statement. And, uh, you know, I think I have this vision of, like tubular bells at an orchestral concert, like being this sort of like very grand, like uh, 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 statement or something. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, like like when the timpani rolls out or something too, right? Like the, yeah, exactly. Because like, the, the the build up is it's usually only a few notes, and you see the guy with his like white gloved hands, like waiting, waiting, and then boom, 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 it happens. You know what else? <laughs> You know, I was talking about how, like, you know, sort of necessity is births a lot of these ideas. I also feel like, for whatever reason, a tubular bell sound with reverb is one of those orchestral sounds that actually like travels pretty well into the digital domain. And so, and so, like, I think that's one of those samples that we had that, like, hey, this actually sounds good. Whereas if you like ever try to do like a fake trumpet, it's like you're you get disheartened extremely quickly. But that's one of those sampled sounds that actually works really well. So I feel like that probably played a big part of it too. It's like, oh, we actually like the way that sounds. Let's use that. You're, you're satisfied when you're adding that layer that like, we don't have to take this one off. Exactly. Yeah. We don't have to recreate that. We don't have to pay someone to play that. <laughs> so uh, the bathtubs then, what, what can you tell me about? I mean, obviously there's some like evocative imagery, uh, but what what kind of was there a specific bathtub in a hallway that birthed this song or there certainly was well, there were there were many there were many <laughs> i mean i think you count to seven at one point in the song but yeah you know. there was so our old practice space uh r.i.p um is was at the corner of of portage and Derby above the goodwill social club and um it was room 16 the end of the hallway and uh this uh the owner of the of the building at the time he sold it long ago but his name was walter pachodko and he was this uh old polish guy who's just like would you know just oh man such a character but loved all the bands and artists who were in there and uh you know he either liked you or he didn't and he made up those he made that decision on like weird criteria that no one ever understood but he he took a liking to us and he was always generous with us along the way but he he like he had all these like projects kind of going on like whether it was like fixing up a rehearsal space or or you know in this case like there were all these clawfoot bathtubs in each of these old like i think they were like tenement rooms that had turned into spaces and so he was like oh i'm gonna re i'm gonna like you know refurbish these and sell them and he never did and so there would just be bathtubs lining the hallway in our spaces that he had, you know, he had meant to get to them, but he just didn't. Um, and I think even when he passed away, they, was, they were still there. And so 
we, you know, we constantly be like lifting keyboard cases over bathtubs and carrying kick drums standing in the drain. Like you're, it just became this almost comical series of obstacles that that sort of became started to represent the the various hoops that you would need to jump through just to like you know try to do this thing that we were doing with six people with keyboards traveling around the country trying to you know get on planes to go play shows and being so resolute about not having a laptop on stage and you know it's like obviously very privileged problems but they they just became you know this the bathtub sort of became a stand-in for for all the small obstacles that that start to add up that you just go through to get to this thing that you want. So the, the burdens and the barriers that you have to kind of force, yeah, exactly. force to work your way around. And you, and in some ways you resent them, but in other ways you, you see them for the fact that they're, they're sort of necessary.
so then uh, moving on to button fumbler, was there one particular person who was the button fumbler? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna leave that one for. Uh, I'm gonna leave that one for the imagination to to fill in. Um, but that song, uh, that song is sort of about where me and Bucky and Matt come from. Um, that song is is about growing up uh, around Steinbach, Mitchell, Kleefeld area, um, and when I was younger, in my like late teens, we would just like drive around you know the back roads of Steinbach and you would it was like that was fun you know getting in a car with your friends and just like driving around and and like just exploring and you getting out of the car and doing stupid shit and that's just kind of you know when you're like 17 or 18 like what else are you gonna do um and uh and it's kind of about the journey from that point and these moments that you have and these and these like little flashes of memories to suddenly you've you know you're now 10 years older and and you've you you feel like it's all so much of change but it's also so like at the same time it's um so little has changed and i think that like the 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 song is sort of a series of images through the years of, uh, of of growing up and and moving and 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 finding new friends and going through phases and uh yeah and i feel like this song just musically sort of captures that as well like it has all these very distinct sections and there's overlapping keyboard parts that come in over different chord progressions and different vocals that we superimpose on other sections and it sort of all kind of contributes to this thematic idea so are the musical sections meant to evoke like like life changes like like as you age like the the song ages in some sense yeah i think so i've never I think really... so yeah i was i was just gonna say like yeah that was definitely a song where it was i remember like we'd write a section and then we would just be like okay well how does that end of this section make us feel let's try and make the next section like it was less of a linear idea it was more in blocks and i think in some ways yeah it does sort of sonically move through uh, different experiences even towards the end of the song i feel like the image of the of the of the sort of outro section for me is like i think it was like being in winnipeg and climbing on top of buildings and drinking and stuff with with friends and and all these sort of images and so you do kind of like end in the city quote unquote and so in that way i think like yeah we are kind of moving from that adolescence into like a more uh an older adolescence <laughs> doing kind of the same kind of doing the same stuff but like with new people in new places and maybe with like a little bit more uh perspective and purpose but maybe not <laughs> Well, it's like interesting, that. Matt, that you were talking about, you know, like driving back roads around Steinbeck. I mean, growing up, I grew up in Brandon and we did a lot of that driving, you know, on Highway 10 and stuff that like it was aimless, but it was content. Yeah. And I think some of that, like climbing buildings and, you know, going up on rooftops, also aimless, but also content, but in a like bigger city in a newer way made it seem more adult. Totally. I think so. And at the core of it is just like, you know, the friendships that you have in those moments and creating those sort of like pictures and and memories 
with people that you you love yeah and, and i feel it kind of ends with this how the feeling in your body fills you up with joy part which is musically one of my favorite parts on the royal canoe on this today we're believers album of just like there's this really low bass note that comes in and this high vocal and then this chord progression that had floated in early in the song comes in and sort of it's like a totally new color so you think that the sort of musical revelation has happened but then everything sort of goes up a notch and i feel like that's sort of a trick that we've always uh we've gone back to from time to time is that you know you think you've reached 10 but then there's like you know, there's that inevitable 11 just waiting for a dial crank and we're always looking to, <laughs> to find that dial. So, so that's a trick you developed early and when, when you go back to regularly? Yeah, totally. I, I think, yeah, like we often just use the phrase like, uh, like um, or the, the word recontextualization. So like, you know, recontextualizing using chords from like a previous section or like a hook or a part from a previous section over a new foundation later in the song to sort of like recontextualize the feeling you got from that in a, in a new way so that you like, there's this like sense of arrival or something. Right. Now, the we're, we're in the heart of the record here, you know, track six and seven, basically the mm. midway point. Did you guys think, you know, if we're gonna press this to vinyl, where does side one end and side two begin? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So the original pressing was a four, a four sider. Uh, still is. Um, yeah, we definitely had that in mind. And I think we were all very much album listeners. And so that sequencing and that sort of like, it felt like after Button Fumble, just on the, I mean, you do did have to flip the first record once, but sort of like that being the natural like middle point at the end of that felt like this is a very natural place to take a breath because that was a bit of a, a journey. Don't give a damn 
She'll fall, fall. She know, she know, she know we went out. Your mother don't give a damn. She'll fall, fall. She know, she know, she know. There's a clatter of a king can clank in the ground. When stories up, you still hear the sound. The sun's up on top of the world, touching our faces and all the delicate places. So then in some ways show me your eyes is kind of like your your second time through the order, right? Like your 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 reintroduction. Yeah. I love this baseball. I like that the baseball analogy is getting reused here. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a theme and I like to yeah, stick totally. to it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I I do remember like feeling like when we were sequencing the record like show me your eyes was on like a previous EP and we weren't sure if it would end up on the album for sure and then same thing goes for birthday which is next but that like was the last edition yeah that was oh, yeah. A, the very last edition and i think the addition of show me your eyes and the creation of birthday i think if i'm remembering correctly were a bit of a response to feeling like we needed a couple more like uh things that kick the, the beats per minute up 
a little mm-hmm. bit on the record because there was a lot of like lower tempo lower tempo tracks and uh once you got to side b like you wanted we wanted to kick it off with just like a little more a little more oomph now was that some thought towards like if we're going to play these out live we need some higher bpm things or was it simply like re-energizing the record as you kind of enter the second half it was more about re-energizing the record um, yeah i think we were were playing these songs like show me would have been playing already so like i feel like we had we always had those in our pocket for the live show but we were just yeah we were we were trying to create a like you know a form and a structure and a series of songs that we felt um you know stood up and uh i think we probably done a number of listens without those two songs and we were like ah, just feeling like there's something that wasn't there and then you know we have that eureka moment of like wait a second well what if we put these ones in and then it started to it's just all started to work from there
Show me your love.